0: Welcome to the New Books Network.
1: Hello and welcome to the New Books Network Jewish Studies Channel. I'm your host, Dora Roussi, Executive Director of Unity Through Diversity Institute, where we explore the future of our heritage. Today, we are very excited to speak with Dr. Sasha Goldstein-Sabach and Michelle Gordon. We will be speaking about their book, Life and Legacy, A Window into the Jewish Life Across the Islamic World, published by the University of Hroningen Press in October 3rd, on, on October 31st, 2023. Welcome, Drs. Goldstein-Sabach and Mr. Gordon, and thank you for joining us here today. Um, let's start. I always prefer it. Please tell us a little bit about yourself. So, Sasha, why don't you begin? Uh, so, my name is Sasha Goldstein-Sabach,
2: as Dora said, and I'm an assistant professor at the University of Groningen in the department. Department of Middle Eastern Studies, Uh, but my specialty is really on the modern history of Jews in the Islamic world. Um, And so I've worked on the networks of Baghdadi Jews in the 19th and 20th century, and I also have a particular interest
1: on kind of the legacy of Jewish life in the Islamic world today. And that's where we've talked quite a bit in the past. I'm just putting it out there so people know. Right. And, and Ror and I have, have had <laughs> discussions about this before, for sure. OK, Michel? Uh,
0: yes, uh, my name is Michel Gordon. I am a, a, a risk bank manager, actually, <laughs> and a photographer. I, I traveled uh, around the Islamic world from Morocco to Uzbekistan in the last uh, 20 years, 20 something years. Um, Searching the Jewish heritage in this in these places, um, I, I I am still trying to figure out why I did that. I mean, it's out <laughs> of passion. Uh, my my family is from Morocco. My mother was born in Morocco, so maybe this is a kind of hint uh, to explain why I decided to do this. Uh, and yeah, that's it. I think. I'm forty nine years old. We could put that into
1: but but uh, we'll definitely get into it a bit more. Um, so let's talk about this publication is a little unique, we'll put it out there is that it's mostly published online. So what made you decide, to, and either one of you can answer this, or both of you decide to publish it online and really open to the public? Um, so I think probably that's a question that I should answer.
2: Um, This kind of has to do with university policy and we'll get into it in a little bit, but this was a project that involved my students. And the University of Groningen has a lovely small publishing house um, and the university will actually underwrite the cost of publications if we agree to make them open access. So it's actually university policy. Um, that anything that I publish through the University Publishing House um, and that I do with students should really be open because my time at the university and my work with the students is funded by the government and therefore it should be accessible to all. What I will say, which is wonderful about it, is that the book can be ordered on Amazon. So anyone around the world can order the book on Amazon and you can have the printed version, which is lovely and It's obviously nicer than a PDF, but it's also really cool that somebody in Afghanistan or in in the Yemen, right, can download the book and also look at it. So I think if we're thinking wider today about what publications can be and offering access, if there's a possibility to make it open, that's really a wonderful opportunity.
1: I love that. And I think some of the people listening in Algeria and the Yemen, like you said, or around the world, this is a great opportunity for them to be able to see it. So thank you for that. And um, did you want to add something, Michelle? Uh,
0: no, I j- just uh, just want to to say that I met uh, Professor Sasha, I think in two thousand nine when we there, there was a launching of the Encyclopedia of Jews in Islamic World. So we were introduced to each other by Professor Norman Stillman. and since that that day uh, we are. Planning because she liked my pictures. Was, I mean, we discussed these this trips that I did in Middle East. So we are trying to figure out how we could one day uh, prepare a book about these pictures. And she is wonderful. I love her. And she was,
1: <laughs> I mean, I, yeah. I
2: I Sasha it's okay. No but I also love Michelle and I think this is also kind of a nice story of friendship between the two of us in the sense that Michelle was very nice um, to allow us to use some of his images in the Encyclopedia of Jews in the Islamic World which was published with Brill in 2010 and that's how we became friends but for many years, we did talk about doing another book with the new pictures. And so I think that we were able to make this book happen is also really exciting on a very personal level, and that we can kind of share it in open access with the world is
1: very exciting. And of course, you know how it always boils back to Goitain if you're talking about that world, now it all boils back to Professor Stillman, who wrote the introduction to your book. So exactly. he, he's the matchmaker around. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. So um, one of the things I found beautiful about this book, and that's what we talk about, Unity Through Diversity, is that it addresses the diversity and the rich culture of Jewish communities within the Muslim world. Michelle, can you tell us a bit about how you came to take these pictures? You said you don't exactly know why, but maybe you could tell us a little bit uh, about that. Yes, sure. I
0: I, I started this in 1998, 1998, there were some Jews who were arrested in Iran. I think they, they were charged by like, accused of, of being spies of Israel, uh, etc. And And I was doing my master's at that time at, in physical oceanography because I am a physicist uh, originally, in the past, a long yeah. time ago. <laughs> and I was doing this master's and then I thought, oh, are there Jews in, in, in Iran? I didn't know about that. Uh, it was a surprise for me. So I decided, I don't know, th- this was the Starting point. So I decided to visit Iran. I wanted to go to this place to 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 figure out what what's going on there, about this on this Jewish community. And then I spent one month in Iran. Um, mm. And the first thing was interesting was that when I found uh, the first Jew in in, in a shop at uh, at the Street, I said, I, "I am Jew. I am Jew from Brazil." And then the guy asked. Are there Jews in Brazil? <laughs> and, and, and of course, his, his question was absolutely more reasonable than my question, because Jews are living in Iran since uh, since, since the exile Babylonian uh, exile, uh, and of course, here in Brazil we have a history of Jews since the uh, the discovery times, the, the Marranos, the, the Portuguese Maranos who came in in the uh, in, in the time of discovery. But we are recent here, actually. In the, most of the way, we are a community of 100,000 Jews in Brazil. Most of them came from uh, in the 20th century, running away from the the, the war. And of course, we have a Sephardi community also here who came in the 19th century, Start coming in the 19th century uh, to the Amazon forest. Anyway, so this is the, the starting point. The Iranian Jews. When I came back, I start giving lectures to the community. The, who is this crazy guy who went to Iran? Because I am Jewish, so it's it was kind of uh, strange for them. And I start explaining the, the, and they gave me the stage. So I I was very happy to 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 share these this stories. And since then, I started traveling to different uh, countries to take pictures and come back and explain to the Jewish community here how, how, how it works, how are these communities in Syria, Lebanon, or Iraq, e- Egypt, how, how are they nowadays? So this was the starting.
1: And so then you collaborated together with uh, Sasha and her students. Tell us a little bit. So you, t- you had these pictures, you knew about these pictures, you had put together, helped put together the encyclopedia. And how did this collaboration with students come to be?
2: So Michelle wrote to me and he's like, I have new pictures. Can we make a book? And I said, I can make a book. But if I'm going to have the time to do it, I need to do it with my students. And I turned it into a pedagogical project, which was a lot of fun. Every year at the University of Croningen, I teach a course on Muslim-Jewish relations. And so last year in 2022, I told my class of about 50 students, um, everyone is going to pick a picture from Michelle's pictures, and you can pick whatever you want, and you're going to write an essay about the legacy of the Jewish community and what is represented in the picture. And I said, if it's good, I didn't make any promises, but I said, if it's good, there's a chance that it can be published in a book we're putting together. And so I would say of the 50 students, about 10 of them had pieces, which I thought were good enough. And five of them in the end wanted to work to really improve the pieces enough so that they would be publishable. And we started with that. And then, The next level was that we have a master's program and our students in the master's program always do either an internship or a tutorial, which is a project. And so I invited the MA students to put the book together as a project. And so we had three MA students who were interested and they learned a bit about publishing. They worked with University of Groningen Press um and they wrote additional pieces and they put the book together and so then I acted as the editor behind the scenes guiding them and helping them out and then of course I read everything they wrote and I made sure that it was factually correct um and so the students who really had no background in Jews or Jews in the Islamic world used the book project to learn about Jews in the Islamic world but also gained some tools um some professional tools, right, in terms of what the what the what publishing is. Uh, So it was great because I had a lot of students who were keen to work on the project, um, but we were also able to kind of teach them both from a theoretical historical perspective about Jews in the Islamic world and then teach them about the publishing industry. And I should finally add, the project was so successful that the book is now number one in a departmental series called Visions of the Middle East and North Africa. And we have a second book coming out this year on the reconstruction of Mosul. And a third book will come out next year with hist- with um, photography from Mandate Palestine. So actually, um the project was such a success that we're going to do it in different classes and we just need sets of images so michelle if you have another set of images which is relevant (laughs) to the middle east and north africa we can make a second book in a couple years
1: not sure he has mandates uh palestine british mandate palestine but (laughs) the mandate mandate palestine (laughs) pictures
2: somebody there's an amazing archive in the netherlands so that book is already the students are already writing the pieces on that
1: that's one of the things I forgot to mention. Can you tell us where Groningen is? <laughs> I'm so not sure everybody in, knows.
2: In Dutch, they say "is niks boven Groningen," which means "there's nothing ab- there's nothing above Groningen," which means like there's nothing better. But actually, literally, there is nothing above Groningen geographically. It is the northernmost <laughs> city in the country, um, and I believe it's the second oldest university in the country. It's about four hundred years old wow Uh, yeah and um so leiden is the oldest and then croningen is the second oldest and it's a university of about twenty thousand students um we have a very famous physics department with some nobel laureates um and we have a lovely small middle eastern studies department of about 10 faculty members that's
1: not so small and that's pretty nice uh, um okay
2: so i
0: forgot sorry no i just forgot to tell Sasha that. In the future, I will do a PhD with her because I have I have an MA in Islamic and Middle Eastern studies in Jerusalem. So I am maybe, maybe if she accepts the student that it's not exactly his. uh, Michelle, uh, whatever
2: you want, we start. (laughs) 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 Let's
1: go on to a little bit of the, the content. And um, so in the introduction, Michelle, you state Judaism and Islam are like interlocking pieces of a marvelous mosaic, different colored tiles composed on a translucent white background, fired, melted, glazed and oxidized by time into a single piece of wonder. I had to read the whole thing because it really spoke to me. Can you talk about how you see this interconnectedness of Judaism and Islam yes, through your lens? Yes.
0: Uh No, I, I am passionate about Islam and, and, and Jews. So maybe my vision is a little bit biased uh, because I love the, the, what we have in common. The, there are a lot of uh, disparities, but there are so many things that are, are, are the same root, comes from the same source. Uh, we, we can even start from the language, the Hebrew and Arabic, there. it's very similar I like that when I was walking in the entering in the old city of Jerusalem, I saw that was written in the Jaffa gate a sentence uh, that I I will quote the sentence is La ilaha, uh, La ilaha illa Allah, Ibrahim Halilullah. So it's not the the usually uh, Muhammad Rasulullah, it's Ibrahim Halilullah, which means Abraham is the friend of God or something like this. So I, I was reading, and th- this is the bab in Arabic. It's the Bab al-Halil, the, the the door, the, the gate of the friend, and and Abraham is buried in Halil, the city in Arabic name it's Halil. I always knew that the city is Hebron, and Hebron it probably comes from Haver, which means friend in 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 Hebrew. Yes. So it's it's everything. It's connected, and I love this idea that. Uh, of connection coming from these gates. So I always uh, uh, keep more focus on the gates and bridges and less in the in in the in the walls and because there there are so many walls and fences between both uh, religions. Uh, So this is one thing that I I I don't know if it's clear uh, what I'm trying to say but the language, the the common uh, uh, forefathers, uh, and even even the the life of Jews in, in Islam was not, I mean, not perfect. We were the Ahl so we, we we were what we would could say today, second class citizenship. But it was not like this. It was not viewed as this. I imagine, but the, the Jews live live. Most of the time, very well in Islam, not all the time. There were some problems, like in 1066 in Granada, or (laughs) many (laughs) pogroms. But of course, Professor Goldstein are more able to to say this than me. I'm just a passionate guy. That's it.
1: And that's what we're asking, yeah. Did you want to fill in anything there, or should we go on to the next?
2: I mean, I think what I'll tell, what I tell my students is we can't essentialize the Jewish experience within the Islamic world, right? It differs across time and space. Mm -hmm. And I think one of the things we tried to show in the book was very much how this differs across time and space, both through the images and both through the writings of the students.
1: Yeah, and that's something that'll come across, I think, as we're speaking and as people will look at the book. So let's talk technicalities here, the logistics. Can you, Sasha, can you tell us a little bit about the breakdown of the book, uh, how you so, chose the chapters and topics?
2: So the book is broken down thematically. And actually, this idea very much came from Michelle, who said, don't, maybe we don't do it by country which is how most people would think to organize such a book. Maybe we do it by theme. And I think this was an excellent idea. And originally, I probably would have just done it by country because I'm a very linear thinker. (laughs) But I put it to the students and I said, can we think a little bit outside the box? This is this is really your book as well. So these were the graduate students. And so they came up with the breakdown. Um, And so we looked at kind of what unites these different communities. So there's one chapter which looks at memorialization. So cemeteries are what we would think about. And there is another chapter that looks at lived religion. So the spaces that Jews inhabit. And there's another one that kind of looks at books and intellectual culture. And by doing this, I think we highlight both the similarities and the differences between these different communities. And then within the different chapters, you have texts about the histories of different communities. And of course, the pictures per country are grouped together in the chapters. But I think it gets you to think about Jewish life in the Islamic world um, in a different way, in the sense that there are similarities and there are differences. And if we can contextualize both of these, maybe we can understand Jews within Islamic society a little bit better. Uh, The other thing I'll add, um, and maybe we'll talk about this a little bit later, is, you know, some of these pictures are very recent, and they include Jews who live in the Islamic world, and Mm -hmm. that we really need to be careful, you know, not to think about these communities as communities which no longer exist. The majority of them no longer exist, unfortunately. But that doesn't mean that there can't be a regeneration of these communities. And so I hope this book actually gets people to think about the elasticity of history. And just because there aren't functioning communities in some of these places, who's to say that in 10 years, 20 years, in a century, you won't have flourishing Jewish communities in you?
1: Yeah, a lot of of what we see in the picture is the communities that were, the neighborhoods that were. Um, And I think a lot of people are researching that now. Um, So, Michelle, when you went there, you mentioned that you came back and everybody thought you were crazy to go to to go on to Iran. Um, Did you ever feel nervous when you were photographing Jewish sites? I'm assuming you didn't necessarily always say you were Jewish.
0: Uh, Yeah. No. Yes. I, I, I felt I felt when I was in Syria, for example, and I was taking picture of the Talmud Torah school in Aleppo. There was uh, a situation. The guy called me and start uh, asking me strange questions and taking notes. He was writing the answers like in a in a form. Then I said I, I escaped the city and I left quickly. I, I I moved to Damascus and then I left the country. I was really afraid of. Uh, there was another situation in Iran in 2015 when I was taking a picture of uh, a woman and. My mistake she was passing in front of uh a, a, a military something and then the, the god called me and it was an accident not related to Jews, but I uh, but i i didn't want to, to to give any possibility of the state to interact with me in whatsoever so when I was there in the in the military uh, facilities uh, the guy asking me about the pictures so oh my god he will Find out that I am Jew and I am, I don't know, it's, it's a problem. It's going to be a problem. On the other hand, I, I, I find a way and I, I, I made the dummy guy. and said, oh my God, I didn't know. Uh, I'm so stupid. I deleted the picture and thank you. Uh, I, I, I spoke a little bit of Farsi at that time. And I said these words and the guy was nice. and I, But on the other hand, when I was in Baghdad last year, uh, probably I... I turned off something in my brain because I, I was giving money to the Shia militia to be able to enter in the Jewish cemetery in Baghdad, and I, I and then I realized that this is a little bit crazy indeed. In <laughs> anyway, I did it. I traveled all the Iraq. I loved, and my my fixer he knew that I was Jew. No problem at all. He he. He brought me to the Ezekiel's tomb, to Ezra's tomb. So I, I visited all these places, even the synagogue in 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 Baghdad. When I met the only Jewish woman living in Baghdad now, they and when I arrived back home, I said, "Oh my God, this was crazy!" I don't. But <laughs> fortunately, nothing happened. Fortunately, it, it, it's sad that we have to to hide ourselves or our identities. And, and actually, when I I, I just try to use this also as a uh, to explain people that there were 150,000 Jews in Baghdad less than less than uh, 50 years ago I don't know or 70 years ago so it's uh, where, where they they have gone where, where, where are they now they are in Israel and UK I don't know so so it's kind of uh, balancing the situation. Uh, when we talk about Israel and Palestinians, that there, were, there were some refugees, like well, almost one million of Jewish left their places in the Arab, uh, Arab countries and Islamic countries as a whole. Well, that's it. Let's, let's sit down. Let's realize it and let's uh, move on. See, that, that's also my goal doing this or my uh, trying to do this. I want to collaborate somehow uh, to the peace, to to achieve a reasonable peace in Middle East, but this is a dream of a guy living in São Paulo. Small dream,
1: small dream. <laughs>
0: yeah, who's a physicist, not related to anything, you see. But anyway, I try my best.
1: I, and it definitely comes across. Uh, you can see the beauty, which is also to me speaks volumes. That art is a great thing that we can. Um, Cross reference and understand. So let's go to some of them. You mentioned, uh, Dr. Goldstein Sabah, you mentioned that there are some communities today that are still living, uh, no thriving, but they're definitely living. I think most of us have heard of uh, communities in Morocco, but you also bring up uh, Azerbaijan. Uh, Can you tell us a little bit about that community and why it's unique? So I would say that Azerbaijan is a little bit outside
2: my comfort zone, as okay. I usually focus on Jews in the in the Arabic speaking world. Um, but obviously, I mean that's a very unique culture, um, and Jews in Azerbaijan their their religious traditions, their cultures are also heavily influenced by Soviet Jewry, right? Right. So there's a different. So there, I mean, it's completely different from Jews, let's say, in um, a normative Islamicate society. Um, and they're they're kind of unique. And if we want to look at and understand the diversity of Judaism and of Jewish culture, it's really important to look at what I call Jewish communities in some of these far-flung, pl- far-flung places. <laughs> and Azerbaijan is a perfect example. I don't think you'd think or you'd realize that there's a Jewish school that they have functioning synagogues, um, but actually, it's very much um, it's very much a small functioning community. And this, I think, is also important for understanding the diversity within Islam. Not all Islam is, you know, an Arabic. Um, or an Arab Sunni type of Islam, there's a lot of diversity in that. So you see this even through the cemeteries, which in a lot of ways look like traditional Soviet cemeteries, for example. Um, But it's a small community, which is, you know, struggling to survive, I would say not necessarily um, because of Particular anti Semitism. There are stresses, of course, but more so because younger generations would prefer to leave Azerbaijan for other political and economic reasons. And that perhaps is a challenge in other places as well. I mean, if we pivot to Morocco, which has um, the largest historic Jewish community, and I'll get to kind of a non historic Jewish community in the Islamic world as well in a second. Um, But there, you have maybe 3000 Jews who live most of the year in Morocco, but they end up sending their children abroad very often for university. And then they meet people and they marry and they move to Europe or North America or Israel for similar reasons that Jews in Azerbaijan would leave as well. So you have these small communities, they function, you know, they have kashrut, they have synagogues, they have mikvot. um, And they're, very much connected both to Israel and to the rest of the diaspora. Um, And this is important to remember. But I'd actually like to get back to one thing that Michelle said, if you don't mind, Tura. Please, please. Um, You know, not getting into the current situation in Israel-Palestine, which is very complicated, and it was not something Mm -hmm. addressed in the book in any way, shape, or form. I think that sometimes people forget how important Jews are to Islamic societies. And what I hope comes through in this book is that across the Middle East and North Africa, you have historic Jewish communities. These are not expat communities. These are not, you know, small groups of immigrants who don't speak the language. These are communities of Jews who lived for centuries, millennia in many cases within these societies. And not necessarily as columns, but as people who contributed to the culture Um, And so I hope that this book, let's say for a non-academic audience, which is really the main audience for this book, compared to some of most of the other projects I work in, it's an invitation to think about Jews and Judaism as an important historic component of Islamic societies.
1: And I think that's one of the things we've talked about at the beginning, is it. I'm sure it'll be seeping into many of these North American and Middle Eastern countries, sorry, North African and Middle Eastern countries, um, because there is a lot of interest in understanding the joint histories and the cross-cultural. So I'm sure it'll get in there as well. But you, had mentioned also that you're going to touch upon a newer community. And one of the newest communities I saw in the book is the UAE, the Emirates. So that's an interesting, you have these very old established millennial going back millennia. What made you decide to put in the Emirates? So who should start?
2: Me or Michelle? Michelle, maybe you start about your trip to the Emirates and then I'll talk a little bit about well, what I yeah, think the Emirates just, are important to include.
0: I just want to compliment one thing from Azerbaijan. That it was it was funny because I was visiting this mountain Jews, this is this, mm-hmm. uh, the name of, uh, of this so I, I, I was imagining a, a community very mm-hmm. particular and but what I saw there was a, a very rich community that lived most of the time in Moscow and traveled to Kuma, yeah. the name yeah. of the city and they they spoke this tat language and this day of cemeteries are very strange or different. Uh, when comparing to other Jewish cemeteries, so they, they have a figure of a person standing in, in, the, in the tombstone, very particular. But going to the Emirates, well, the day that uh, President uh, Trump, baby Netanyahu and, and, and the Sheikh signed the Abraham agreement, I, the very day I bought the tickets. I was just waiting for the, the, the sign and then I bought the tickets. I was living at the time in Luxembourg, so it was not difficult for me to go from Luxembourg to, to the Emirates. And just after that, I realized that it was the COVID time. So it was, I don't know how, how I... So, for example, Abu Dhabi was closed. I couldn't go to Abu Dhabi. I went just to... So I spent two weeks in the Emirates, and I took the opportunity to to visit other small Emirates, like uh, haima or Sharjah, very beautiful place that we, we never would go there because the Dubai and Abu Dhabi, is, so it was, so I, but I couldn't go to Abu Dhabi, so I did, I visited these places and I met uh, a vivid, uh, small community, but vivid in the streets walking, sort of like a, rab, a rabbi walking in the streets or the, the mezuzah uh, in, in the doors, there was even the, uh, uh, a sukkah from the, the Sukkot feast uh, just in front of the Burj Khalifa, the most important. Uh... Oh, sorry. Uh, yeah. So um, so then I, I saw this vivid community. And then even in, in Bahrain, when I visited, of course, Bahrain, it's uh, a little bit older. Uh, I think it's. It's uh, Jews from Baghdad who, who came to Bahrain. Not sure about it, Professor mm-hmm. Sasha can uh, correct me. Uh, but these communities gave me kind of hope that uh, it's not the last chapter, in fact, for the, the Jews in Islamic uh, world. And it's just want to point out uh, uh, that it was, of course, the Jews were very important uh, to Islam in general. And vice versa, I think. So I, I, I think not only the midrash influenced the Quran, but also the Quran influenced the midrash, That's and awesome. there was a huge interaction. And uh, and we have in Jude- in so many important uh, philosophers or thinkers like Saadia Gaon or Maimonides mm. who lived under this Islam Islamic world, not the religion itself, but the, in this environment, so I think Jews also uh, have to thank Islam somehow. So that that that's the point that I try to uh, to focus on, showing the common sources, the common uh, heritage of both uh, religions and cultures.
2: Mm. Yeah. yeah, I I agree completely, Michelle. I mean that's. In the class that I teach on Jewish-Muslim relations, you know, that's one of the things we talk about, how Judaism influences Islam and how Islam influences Judaism. And usually by the end of the course, the students really see how the religions have much more in common than Judaism has to Christianity, for example, but also because you have these vibrant historic Jewish communities within the region that they're really part of even modern you know Arab society for example and that kind of gets back to this idea about what's going on in Dubai right now and I would also add that you know Kuwait and Bahrain also have small Jewish communities. Um Bahrain more than Kuwait actually today. Yeah. But yeah. yeah Kuwait not so much sorry. Um, but and, and those two communities were certainly from um Baghdadi traders and part of the Baghdadi trade diaspora. But what's important about Dubai is that who's to say there won't be more Jewish communities that come about in the Islamic world? Dubai is new. Um, It's not a historic community. It's not primarily a community of Arabic-speaking Jews either. But they're certainly becoming part of the cosmopolitan society of Dubai, And it's small, but it's very vibrant. Um, And as Israel and um, some of the Emirates have established relations, diplomatic relations with each other, I think that will only grow. And I think it's important for people to think about that just in the same way that they kind of look at the pictures in the book and they reflect on this long history that a lot of times people like to put Jews and Muslims in binaries. But if we scratch below the surface, it's not really a binary and there's a tremendous ar- amount of cooperation and collaboration. And you really see this now with this kind of new community
1: in Dubai. Yeah, I definitely agree. It's it's in a really unique community and it'll be interesting to continue to trace it. So you'll have to go back uh, and take some new pictures. But uh, let's zoom in on one particular picture. Um, on page fifty-four, and I'm sure you don't remember exactly what's on page fifty-four, but you have a picture of a girl in Tehran reading your book, Michelle, and yeah. your first book, "A Jew in Islam." W- what was the significance of that picture, and adding that picture? And-
0: yeah, this was just to 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 show that, uh, like like she's dressed with the hijab, and she was very. A Muslim Shia woman in the street, but she's looking at, at a book about Jews in Islam. It's very uh, attentive, very curious about it. It's, it's just so that it's uh, the prejudice is not. Uh, it's not in the society. It's not. It's not a big deal. For I, I met. I have a lot of uh, Iranian friends uh, who they not. Did not say that they love uh, Israel etc but not going into this point but but they they have a lot of uh, uh, contact with Jews in in Iran uh, and and this woman she of course is a Muslim uh, Shia girl so watching a book about a Jew in Islam and and asking me questions all the time so th- then I said can I take a picture of you watching the book it's just to show that it's not. It's like Professor Sasha said. It's not a zero one. It's not a binary thing. It's very complex. It's very complex. I think.
1: Yeah. I think that's one of the things that comes out in the book. Uh, one of the things that you added, and I'm not sure who wants to respond to this, but there are some Muslims in the book that you take that uh, that you have pictures of that either today they live in, because they live in Jewish homes or they're terkey. Caretakers of some of the property that was left there. What was the thought process behind including them?
0: You mean you have any specific picture that you refer to? Or...
1: No, there were a few where you had just either a Muslim was living in a house. I don't remember the exact page, but, yeah. or uh, in a Jewish house. Or
0: I remember, for example, that when I was in Kurdistan, in the city of Arbil, there was a, there is a picture of uh, some old guys showing me pointing where is where the Jews used to live. So so actually, they are helping me to find Jewish heritage in the city of Arbil. And they are telling me we used to have a lot of friends. And one well, day in the 50s, they disappeared. So this Kurdish old man, they kind of said, uh, we love Jews. Why, why did why did they disappear? We don't, we don't understand. We have a lot of friends in and the, uh, they live here. And they live there and they show me the houses they, they used to live. But that's why I took a picture of them showing me the places. So all the time trying to show that it's not so simple, that it's a, it's a complex thing. And, and yeah. Uh, yeah, I don't know. Sorry, yeah.
2: no, no, I mean, I, I think. If we get past the politics, which are always very complicated, Lots of Muslims across the Islamic world are just interested in their history. And Jews are part of that history. And this is something they care about. And so I think it's a normal intellectual curiosity to care about your society and what it looked like 50 years ago or 100 years ago. And that's an important reason to include these people, because some of the older generations still remember Jews, right? And I would also say that there are lots of Muslims across the Islamic world who maintain Jewish sites. And there are different reasons. Sometimes they're paid to do this by Jewish communities. So that would be, for example, in Morocco. And sometimes they do this, you know, out of pure devotion, because they want to preserve this heritage. And they hope that one day, Jews will come back. And it's not just Muslims, right? I mean, in Lebanon, the Christian communities were instrumental in um, renovating Maigen Avraham synagogue in Beirut. So this is a heritage that not just Jews care about. And I think by including Muslims in the book, I hope that this is also a reminder that it's not just Jews trying to remember this heritage. It's a wider
1: um, society which really wants these
2: communities to be remembered.
1: Yeah, I think that's a really important point. And that's some of the things that I'm sure you see in conferences and I see in conferences when you can do them in neutral places. It's wonderful to get together with the people from these countries today who are still interested in understanding. So this was really a great uh, glimpse into the world of Jews of Muslim lands. And as we said, Muslim lands is not necessarily what we think of the just the North African, it it goes beyond. And so it's nice to think about it beyond. And I really encourage everybody to download it because it is really wonderful, even online. And I hate reading online in general, just putting it out there. Um, What we always like to ask at the New Books Network is, what are you working on next? Can you tell us what you're working on next? Michelle, you you start.
0: (laughs) Well, I... I still want to visit some some countries like Yemen. I didn't go in uh, Afghanistan, but uh, but but I'm not sure. Now I have a 13 years old daughter, and she she needs me, and I I don't know. I, I'm getting old, a little bit of and uh, 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 ego. Oh no, not ego. I'm sorry. It's another guy inside my head. It's something Freudian. I don't remember, but something that avoid me to. To take some risks i know uh, uh, something mm-hmm. inside me that say okay let's uh, slow down and what i i'm trying to do now it's to uh, it's to it's to spread this uh, not only the book but courses here about jews in islam or the history of islam for the jewish community here just to break uh to, to break prejudice because. Even here for the Jewish community, they, they they don't like, they are afraid of anything that it's Muslim. If I say, for example, La ilaha illa which is a sentence that any Jew can say happily because it's there is no God but God, but I'm sad in Arabic, so they are I mean scared and 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 and, and so I'm trying to show that this is not so 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 bad. <laughs> I'm trying just to 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 make them acquainted or close to Islam and Jews in Islam. More, many, of, many of the Jewish community here came from the Islamic world, but even they don't know much about They They were kids. They left it at a young age, four or five years old. Like my mother, for example, she left Morocco uh, in 1956 in the, during the independence of the, of the country, and she does not know anything about Islam. Do not have any memories of that time, etc. So I'm trying to show that it's not uh, they are closer to us than we imagine. That's that's my goal. I don't know if I will do this in photography or just courses or lectures. I don't.
1: We're going to have to continue this conversation in another <laughs> platform, but uh, <laughs> we will talk. <laughs> but we're looking forward to seeing it. <laughs>
2: yeah. Um, okay. So. I have two projects maybe that I'll mention. One is something that's more or less complete, but I've been working with the World Jewish Congress um, for the past year to build an open access platform about the legacy of Jewish communities in the Islamic world. And that just went live a couple of days ago. And so if you want more extensive histories about Jews in the Islamic world with footnotes, you can go on there. And there are also biographies about Jews who really helped build modern um, Arab culture. Um, And that's been a lot of fun to work on and so if you're if you like the book I would say the next thing you can look at which is also completely open is the World Jewish Congress's platform on the legacy of Jews in the Middle East and North Africa you can you can plug it here tell us what's exactly the name of it or the website so it's called the it's called the legacy if you google World Jewish Congress the legacy of Jews in the Middle East and North Africa you will find it and it has um histories of each of the Jewish communities and some communities which are left off sometimes like Kuwait and Bahrain, um, and also Sudan, for example. And then I don't know if all of the biographies are up yet, but it had eventually it will have 40, 50 biographies of Jews who were essential to local culture. So people like Laila Murad, for example, who was a very important Egyptian singer or um, Sassoon Heskel, who was the first Iraqi minister of finance. You can find quality biographies about each of them with some beautiful illustrations. Um, And maybe actually with the World Jewish Congress, we'll even make a book out of that next. Mm. Um, And then, very grateful, I got a large research grant from the Dutch Research Fund. And so my next kind of scholarly project Um, for the next four years we'll be looking at Jews from the Middle East and North Africa who settle in Europe and a little bit North America and South America as well in the late 19th and early 20th century so before the dissolution of these communities and then to look at kind of their networks between the Islamic world and their new places of residence. And so how we can kind of begin to think about Jewish networks in the late 19th and early 20th century. So that's my that's my new scholarly research project moving forward.
1: This all sounds wonderful. I'm sure everybody is going to be following you, but I'm definitely going to be following um, both of you. It has been such a pleasure. Thank you both. We've been speaking with Dr. Sasha Goldstein-Sadach and Michelle. Gordon about their book, Life and Legacy, A Window into Jewish Life Across the Islamic World, uh, published by University of Kroningen Press. It has really been a pleasure, and we encourage everybody to continue researching the Jews of Muslim lands through each of their research and through unity through diversity on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube and our podcast, Reclaiming Identity. Thank you all.
2: Thank you, Jorah.
0: Thank you. Thank
1: you.